0: Two, one, two, three, four. If you like rock music, punk, metal or blues, then you come to
1: the right place. Cause we like it too. It's sound check. It's sound
2: check. It's sound check.
0: Check, check,
2: check.
3: Hello everyone, and welcome to Soundcheck, the rock and roll and alternative music podcast here at Central Michigan Life. My name is Michael Livingston. I'm joined by my co-host, Andrew Mullen. I'm joined by our podcast producer, Ben Ackley. And you are watching us live in the person. You're you're seeing us. We're all together. There's a light at the end of the tunnel for all this COVID stuff. And uh, we are slowly sort of phasing our way back into... Doing
4: things in person, am I right? Yeah, um, especially because of this episode, I think we're going to have more of a casual, yeah. personal, intimate. Yeah, I know. I should probably lighten my mood a little bit, right? Oh, you I atmosphere. NPR. Yeah. NPR.
0: NPR. 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 are <laughs> For NPR. NPR. <laughs> NPR now. Oh Jesus! <laughs> well, Listen, yeah. I mean, I just gotta say, right. like, I'm looking at you guys in person right now. We can like back and forth respond oh, to each other. It's it feels crazy. good. It feels good to be back. yeah Yeah, I like it. I I like this.
4: This is a good feeling, good feeling, especially after hearing Ben perform uh, the acoustic version of our theme song live. Mm -hmm. And we got, I even got to participate vocals. Hopefully I didn't break anyone's eardrums with it, though.
3: I think you sounded brilliant. I think we all sounded brilliant. And I think the songs you're going to hear on this episode are going to sound brilliant. I agree. Because as Andrew said, we're kind of toning it down a little bit for this, this episode back in person getting cozy, getting comfortable in this uh, cold winter hellscape we call Mount Pleasant to some uh, nice acoustic music. But,
4: Andrew, what do we got to do first? Uh, we got to plug in our social media. We got a Twitter. You should definitely go list, check out our Twitter uh, profile. It is at S-Check Official. You can catch our uh, not only our episodes, uh, when when they go live, but you can also check out the playlists we have for each of our episodes. So, for instance, if you like all the music you heard, or even just some of the music you heard on today's episode, uh, we'll post the uh, that uh, playlist for you to check out yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael, you have any Twitter profiles you want to plug in or yes, any social? Yes, sir. Yes, social? sir.
3: Uh, you can follow me at Michael C Live. That's on Twitter. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm getting. Uh, I'm using Twitter a lot more this year.
4: Nice. I can oh. follow me at Andrew Mullen four. I was gonna plug in my Instagram handle, but I forgot what it is. So that's probably not very helpful. Just search Andrew Mullen; you'll probably find me. Yeah. He's famous enough; you'll find him. He's
3: verified. <laughs> that's definitely not true. Uh, ben, you're you're a musician. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And you just played the acoustic what? guitar for us.
4: What a transition.
3: <laughs> we're, we're talking about acoustic music today. What is it about the acoustic guitar that's so accessible for so many
0: musicians? I mean, the beautiful thing about the acoustic guitar is it's it's it, it's really stripping music down to its essentials. That's where music, I mean, in America at least, if you think about the roots of music, you think about acoustic guitar, you think about early blues and country. and mm-hmm. it It's something that you can take and go to a far-flung coffee shop or open mic when those things exist, and you can try to impress people. And a lot of the time, you just sound pretty boring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You've got to be really good to make an acoustic guitar and a voice sound good. And that's kind of the point of the episode.
3: I was going to say anybody could pick up the acoustic guitar as long as you have hands and ears, but I've seen videos of people playing acoustic guitar with their feet and, you know, other body parts, so...
4: (laughs) 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 <laughs> well, we did need to. It did mean that. Okay, so
3: but but yeah, I mean, it is probably the most accessible instrument out there. You know, any. I feel like every college student owns one. Every everyone can do it. I mean, it's not just uh, guitars either. It's just any any instrument that can like produce its own timbre, its own sound acoustically, right? Right. And, and live.
0: And many of them are rotting away in people's closets because they bought one deciding that they're going to learn guitar and they just never get around to it you know? <laughs> you, you just you just you just you just you just, just had something deep inside me <laughs> Jesus. and if you have one of those acoustic instruments
3: call ben ackley he'll take it off your hands
4: yeah we'll we'll my, find a it uh, my I'm, mine's broken you can take okay. on you <laughs> <laughs> um but no um if i may chime in i'm actually very happy we're doing this episode talking all about acoustic music because uh i know i'm the kind of like the punk and metal guy here you wouldn't expect me to be huge into like guitar music but I am mm-hmm. um, in fact I think I said several times in the show I think you got you guys talking about you know how you have to be really good to make kind of just a voice and an acoustic instrument work and I agree when it's done correctly I think it's can create some of the most powerful emotional music or some of the most earnest music you can ever hear because it is it's I think it's a much more intimate experience listening to someone with uh, just uh, you know a voice in an acoustic guitar and i hope at least with all my picks i will hope to kind of like kind of make that point strong and i'm mm-hmm. sure you guys will as well with your picks but yeah. um i will say i did have some trouble <laughs> actually picking out um some songs for this because ben for correct um just to let everyone know kind of what the criteria for this list is nothing electric it had to all be acoustic instruments so whether that's a guitar uh, any any brass i guess would count uh strings piano um and i kept running into songs that did have some electric components because mm-hmm. either i'd forgotten they were in there or i didn't recognize them as being you know because of the like because it blends in with the ambiance i right. didn't recognize electric instruments being in there um and, and i find that like wow like in even just popular music does not it, it's much harder to find straight acoustic music than i thought it was
0: right and i mean the the one exception we made i don't actually know if we ever had to do it but the one exception uh that i was willing to make on this was acoustic or electric bass because if you're going to have an electric element in a song it's most likely going to be the bass because you don't have someone with a big upright bass yeah to play so they're going to plug in electric everything else will be acoustic and you barely even notice it i don't know actually if we have anything with electric elements in here there's probably a little twinge here and there but yeah either way all of these
3: songs are going to give kind of the general vibe of a a fully acoustic song Mm -hmm. and and going back to Andrew's point about like um creating an intimate and somber sometimes somber uh but most of the time just intimate experience I think that welcomes in a conversation about error in music and especially when it comes to acoustic music uh I don't know Ben why don't you go first what what is the importance of like kind of fucking up sometimes when oh. you're playing a
0: song. Oh Michael, you've hit upon my favorite thing in music. <laughs> um, my favorite favorite thing is when someone fucks up. There's uh, multiple instances I can think of in Bob Dylan records where he starts singing the wrong verse and then just corrects and it's on the album and there's something to be said for uh, Steely Dan style or probably in the style of a lot of math rock groups really trying to perfect a song and doing take after take after take Mm -hmm. to get it to sound exactly how it sounds in your head. But there's also something to be said about artists like Neil Young and Bob Dylan, who Neil Young would go into the studio and record a record in a night because he just had the songs. And there are errors all over those things. But a lot of times, if you make an error, the audience doesn't notice it. And it becomes an improvement upon the song. It's really hard to explain. And if you're that musician making the error, especially if you're a younger or less experienced musician, you feel like an asshole. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's a lot of magic to that sort of... It, it's human spontaneity. It's something you can't get just tracking a song over and over and over again.
4: Yeah, and you know, and I... For me, I think it's kind of really hard to like, ignore those screw-ups you know, on albums um, when, when you're using acoustic instruments. I think uh, mm-hmm. James Hetfield talked about this. When they first used acoustic guitar on Fade to Black, um, and he's like, yeah, I, I had, we had to like, it's a completely different beast than using electric because we had to like, because yeah. every little creak, every little you know, minute mistake we would make would get amplified on it because there's not a lot of space reading out with all these other chords and electric components happening. Mm-hmm. So, it, it it it's a much more delicate instrument to use. Not that it's necessarily fragile. It's because sonically, it, it, I mean, it can be. Um, but again, ha- having some of those like off-kilter aspects some, having some of those screw- ups on the album I agree can make things more acous make things more uh, intimate make right. things more uh, inviting for the listeners because it's like they're human too um, you know an album that kind of comes to mind it didn't count because there was a lot of electric guitar in this but John Frusciante wrote a really actually really dark uh, record in the mid 90s after he had left the group for the first time called Neandro De. Le- La Des and usually just a T-shirt. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but it it like it, it's almost like a shockingly personal invite into his state of mind at the time. Which is, if you know anything about it about him during this time, he was on a lot of drugs, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and like stuff like albums like that reminds me of the power someone can have. Um, with any instrument, even if it's just as simple as an acoustic guitar. And even if there are, cause it's not the most, it's far from the most polished record you'll ever hear. Right. And in some, some instances, yeah, that can be used to create great art.
3: Yeah. I mean, if we're starting to throw some, drop some names out here, do we want to get into our picks or do you guys have some more talking points you want to touch on? Cause I, th- I think error yeah. in music is important. We're going to encounter that a lot in this one, especially the live stuff, um Mm -hmm. you know we'll listen to this the whole song all the way through and we'll be like oh you fucked up on that note but it's it like adds something we touched on the instrument atmosphere acoustic music can bring um i i guess the last point i would make is just kind of the raw power that a musician can showcase when using all acoustic instrumentation like if you can still somehow uh you know pump the serotonin that i would get listening to like a metal song or a really fast punk song um with an acoustic guitar i mean that says something about you as a musician at least i think so that's that's the feeling i get from your music ben oh wow thank you anyways you have the first pick michael i do i do i'd love to go first uh and we're gonna start it off strong with uh you know, Michael Staple out here. So, yes, I am bringing my first pick to the table here, which is sort of a Michael Staple. But um, still, this is a, a pretty intimate song that I have uh, loved and cherished throughout the years. Um, I talk a lot about Dinosaur Jr., but I don't often talk about Jay Mascus by himself, um, which I think is equally fantastic material, um, especially the um, acoustic live records that kind of came out of the, uh, the, the 90s. And the song that I particularly gravitate towards is off of Martin and Me. It's called Keeblin. And the reason why I like this one so much is people often will turn away from Dinosaur Junior or anything Jay does for the way he sings, which is sort of kind of this lazy nasally doesn't even seem like he's putting a lot of effort into it. But um, he kind of has this sort of, uh, you know, Massachusetts guy trying to do a Southern accent draw kind of thing. Um, but when you listen to his voice sort of stripped back, you can actually hear the emotion that he's putting behind these lyrics. And a lot of them, um, you know, people will listen to this and I, I hope at least would, uh, you know, come away from those previous, uh, assumptions. So Ben, you can play Keeblen. It's a very good song. and I hope you all like it. see what I'm talking about where like first we're getting some air he's muting some notes that should be shining th- through but like it kind of adds to the emotion and like the chorus just like I don't know when I first heard that I was like in the car um, like in the backseat of my mom's minivan just like in an
0: edgy mood and it, it really really hit me the right way the interesting thing about this song to me is you know you hear Dinosaur Jr. and they're like crazy and he's such a great guitarist But this sounds a lot like, uh, like something like, early '70s acoustic Rolling Stones stuff to me. Mm -hmm. Like no expectations or uh, something like that, where it's Mm -hmm. it's really sparse and it sounds really just like end of the world, sad, you know. And I love music like this. Like this is so such an attractive song to me because of that. Mm -hmm.
4: Uh, Yeah, I, I. I agree with that, you know, I don't know, all. I don't really know much of J Mas- uh, mm-hmm. is. I can't say his name for some reason. J Guy. J Guy, sure. Uh, I don't know much of his solo stuff, although what I've heard I've really enjoyed, you know, I really like the idea of him taking a completely different approach mm-hmm. to using his voice on these songs, because he has the perfect, like, pained, aching, sad boy voice mm-hmm. to use on acoustic music like this. And I think it really, like you said, Mike, I think it really uh, showcases his voice in a completely different way. So
3: for sure. And before we move on, I'd just like to recommend if you did like that listeners go check out several shades of why the new record, um, you know tied to a star they're acoustic records but he kind of uses that sonic fuzzy guitars that, that dinosaur Junior's is no, known for like very sparsely sort of peppers the record with that stuff and it's so good it's it's like it's everything uh, dinosaur jr was like sort of leaning towards toward the end when jay started experimenting a lot more but just like it's a sound unique and independent on its own so check that out but let's hear from andrew because i'm right. excited about this one
4: yes me too and uh, a common theme to hear with my picks are are uh, not only are they mostly sad <laughs> which is uh, i i i guess apropos of me but also there are a lot of artists that i wanted to talk about in the show for a while and just so happened that this this uh re- episode would be a perfect vehicle to bring uh bring them up and uh the first artist in that category is one joan Baez. now before I continue, if I ever say Joanne Baez, please forgive me. I know it's wrong, but I, I, it's one of those one of those names you like you read you read it or heard it wrong once and it just stuck with me for years. I'm trying to get out of it. I know it's Joan Baez. Get off me if I say it wrong. It's it's not intentional. I promise. Um, but yeah, no. Um, if you don't know Joan Bias, uh, change that immediately. Uh, she is one of the most legendary folk artists in history. Um, she's one of the most known uh, civil like, acti- civil rights activist um, artists ever as well. Uh, she really um, was one of her big claims to fame, you know, not only uh, participating in protests and, and doing a lot of important political work, but as well as reinterpreting a lot of works from political folk artists like Bob Dylan and Phil Oakes and Pete Seeger. Ah, uh, to name a few, and uh, she was also the one to kind of discover Bob Dylan back in his uh, back in back at the start of his career. In fact, she was already a well-known star in music before um,
0: uh, he was discovered. What are you looking at me for? Do, I'm doing a little look at the camera for every time Bob Dylan is mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Are you a
3: Joan bias guy as
0: well, Ben? Yeah, I'm. I'm not as as deeply into her yet, but we're gonna talk about them. Uh, together and and we're going to talk about Bob Dylan. Yeah. Yeah, go on, Andrew. But anyways yeah but the thing is though i feel like
4: bob dylan has gone to well overshadow her status in music and and let's be real probably for sexist reasons they did date for a while she's the one that discovered him and they so the careers were intertwined for a good period of time she's covered him a bunch so people just kind of think oh she's the female bob dylan and that's a really gross way to describe her because <laughs> while there are certain similarities for them i mean as far as sonically goes it, it's not the same they're com completely different singers and they have completely different approaches in how they approach politics of music um, you know and Joan has one of the most powerful, soulful voices you will ever hear. And to hear it over just some really sparse acoustic music is something else, I'll tell you. Um, and that's kind of what her early career was, doing a lot of these, you know, folk songs with just her and an acoustic guitar. And it worked so, so well. Um, before she got, like, really political with her with her work, um, she was known for covering old child ballads and... Uh, old like old traditional folk songs, you know, "House of the Rising Sun," and it, she actually covered that before the Animals did, and make that mm-hmm. made that song really famous. Um, uh, the song I'm bringing here today, though, is the first song on her first record, which I mentioned in our debut best like top ten best debuts episode. I kind of an honorable mention because it's really really good. Um, if you've never heard of this song, that's fine. It's uh, kind of like "House of the Rising Sun." It's an old traditional folk song who's, like, that's so old, and the origins are so murky, I couldn't tell you who wrote it. And there's, like, a million different versions. I'll oftentimes, it's good by Katie Deer, or Wake Up, you Your House Sleeper, whatever. The only one I really care about is Jones, because it's easily the simplest, but yet most interesting version of the story. Basically, uh, there's these two lovers. The guy comes in tries to court her. I don't know. This is, like... The '60s folk version of holding up a boombox to <laughs> over the window. I don't know. Uh, mother does not approve of this because she, her, because the narrator's uh, father and the and her mother's obviously former uh, husband, lover, whatever. Um, he had like cheated on her and, and cheated on every person basically he's been with and. Basically, the narrator ends the song with, yeah, go find someone else, basically, because I've been warned and I don't want to ever go through that heartache, so I will just be alone forever. Basically, the moral of the story, men ain't worth anything, and you know what? That's very, very fair. I can't blame the narrator. Um, yeah, this this is a, a really powerful song to hear, um, you know, especially even nowadays. I mean, she recorded this... Um, this whole debut and if you don't mind i want to read a quote real quick that she talked about recording this uh like in four nights um mm-hmm. this this is her uh we were in some big smelly ballroom at a hotel on broadway way up by the river we couldn't record on wednesday nights because they played bingo there i'd be down there in this old dirt on this old dirty rug with two microphones one for the voice and one for the guitar i just did my set it was probably all i knew i just put him down um, that's the way we made them in the old days, as long as, it's a dinner, as long as the dog didn't run through the room or something, you had it. And you just really, really hear, just like, it's almost intense, like, cause it's just her. And singing this really, even though like, even though this is a narrator's choice, it's still kind of a heartbreaking tale in a way that, that such extremes had brought it to that conclusion. And it's so wrought and intense and I just love it. It, it still gives me chills. Let's hear life. it, boy. Yeah, I was just gonna say, sorry for me talking so much, let's hear this thing. (laughs)
3: this a rare case where there are no errors because her playing is incredible on this man no, right. very very technically like uh, impressive like with the triplets and stuff mm-hmm. and like going around like whew, it's still intimate but like the playing is incredible
0: right i mean you can tell from any of her stuff that she's very very well practiced and that was the thing about the folk scene in new york city that she was a part of that bob dylan was a part of is these people were playing night after night after night, and they would guest in on each other's sets, and they were constantly playing folk music. So, I mean, they had the, the person with acoustic guitar down. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear good acoustic music, that's definitely a place to go. And I, you, you talked about how Joan never really had the chance to get as famous as Bob Dylan. And an interesting factor in that is she started her career, and for most of the 60s at least, was on a label called Vanguard Records which yes. is a, an exclusively folk record label mm-hmm. um, and definitely a smaller label, too. But their approach to making records was... I mean, it was definitely just her in the studio with an acoustic guitar. She never really had sort of the rock uh, bent that Bob Dylan ended up having. Mm-hmm. So that, that could definitely be a part yeah. of it. Mm-hmm.
3: Do you want to talk about some Bob Dylan?
0: I sure can and will. <laughs> um, jump forward... 25 years into the future, and former lover of Joan Paez, Bob Dylan is floundering in the pop music world. We talked about it on the first episode of this season, actually. Um, He's in the mid-'80s, his dark period for sure. He's soon to record a rap verse on Curtis Blow's (laughs) album, (laughs) Um, but that's a year after this comes out. Um, He is about to release his 1985 Uh, bungle, uh, Empire Burlesque, which is covered with synthesizers. And even if the songwriting is there, the 80s production is there in spades as well. And that really, (laughs) really drowns any chance that this had of being anything popular. Um, Except someone convinced him to do a solo acoustic track for the last song on the album. And if you talk to a Dylan Purist, they'll say, Empire Burlesque is bad. Except... This song that I'm about to play for you, "Dark Eyes." This is as solo acoustic as you can get, in the fashion of our first two songs. It's just him and his guitar and his wonderful lyrics. And he's he's in really good form here, despite the fact that he's sort of having a midlife crisis, as you can tell from this album cover. Um, he he's he he was always capable of of making great music despite his own circumstances, which is shown. Even later in this decade, with a song like Brownsville Girl, which is on an absolutely atrocious album, Knocked Out Loaded, Um, and with this song, Dark Eyes. It's five minutes long, so we're not going to hear all of it, but I hope you enjoy. Let's hear it. Even that song from a mid-career drought really shows why Bob Dylan's considered one of the best guys with an acoustic guitar.
3: Oh yeah, I'm still making my way through, man, the Bob Dylan guide. I have, uh, I think I've gotten to like past the early years and into kind of the golden era, and oh man, I am loving it. But the thing about Bob Dylan is he just always knows how to make you feel like you're sitting next to him on the couch like, in, or in some like shitty green room in a New York bar you know it's like I feel like I'm there and I feel like I, I can almost talk to him sometimes you know I bet you feel that way too listening to him throughout the years
0: I mean that's the, that's the biggest appeal to me is that he's one of those artists where his lyrics might not always be clear and he might be sort of a uh, he, he's someone who doesn't want to be known but that makes him even more exciting to me, you know, the fact that I don't know his story and I never will.
4: Right. Yeah, um, Yeah. I, I, I quite enjoyed this track, too. I mean, it's very somber. I, I can definitely hear Midlife Crisis and kind of accepting that there's a Midlife Crisis happening here. It's kind of that emotion all over this. Um, I liked it, although I can't say this hits as well with me as, like, his like other, like, kind of somewhat long songs that he did um, back during his original acoustic years, right. like uh, Mr. Tambourine Man, which is probably my favorite Dylan song. I don't know if this hits quite the same as that. It, do you, do you, I don't know, do you agree with me, or I don't know. What do you it, think about that? It's,
0: it's so, so hard for me to look at Bob Dylan's career objectively. You know, like, I have a pretty intimate knowledge of every section of it, and I at least somewhat understand what was going on in his life in each part. So like, I mean, yeah, this is, it's just different to me, you know, this is a completely different beast than something like that or something like uh, Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands or Desolation Row, those super long, epic acoustic songs. I could have brought Desolation Row on, but Mm -hmm. this one, it just shows that even when Bob Dylan was at his, at one of his lowest points, he could still create a hell of a song. For sure. All right, guys. We should just round out the uh,
3: the Bob Dylan inner circle, huh? Yeah, yeah, this
0: is like the big the big three of <laughs> yeah of these folks right here. Because
3: we got Joan Baez first, we got Dylan, and now I am going to bring Joni Mitchell on stage because, damn man, I fell in love with Joni Mitchell this past year in 2020. I don't know what it was about the year or what I was feeling, but uh, Blue is now consider I consider it one of my all-time favorite records um, and you know I can't really I don't want to go on a long tangent about uh, Mitchell's relationship to Dylan um you know we can all probably say it was it had its up and downs and throughout the years um, you know but there's always like a mutual respect for each other as musicians mm-hmm. um, but I'd rather just talk about a case of you which is the song I'm bringing on here. <laughs> Whew, yeah, you that, that pretty much describes it. I love the whole record. I love uh you know various pieces of all of Mitchell's career, but I always come back to this song just for this the the lyrical metaphor and the presentation and everything like that. It's just you know, it's I don't know how can I describe it other than like uh, pure poetry. Um Ben's going to play a little bit of it, but uh you know, going uh to Joni Mitchell's playing acoustically. I, I have never heard it match the same way. I don't know what she's playing or how she's playing oh. it, but, like, the the way she hits those strings with her nails, the way she kind of, like, goes all over the place with, um, you know, not really worrying about muting certain notes or anything like that and kind of mis- mixing it up with, you know, the timbre you'll get through, through some of her guitars and different instruments. It's It appears all over the record, and it's, it's like it's unforgettable it's just so unique i don't know you 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 can probably speak on uh, a little more of joni mitchell's playing better than i can
0: i think i can and i think i can solve your mystery Mm -hmm. as to what instrument this is let's hear it but um let's hear the song first okay
1: I would still be on my feet.
0: So, if you were wondering, that is an Appalachian Mountain Dulcimer that she's playing, hmm. um, which is sort of a cross between a lap steel guitar and a mandolin okay yeah I definitely
3: hear that like kind of the cross between both of them in there but you know we can talk about her playing pretty much all day but we can also talk about how Joni Mitchell just never seems to run out of breath (laughs) like she just goes on and on climbing these like mountains and then coming back down and it's like she can go from high to low and just like all over the place and it's just like it's so fun to like try to sing along with her because you know you can't but it's like it's still a, a really fun exercise to do um, yeah I don't know what else I can probably say about that. I mean that.
0: it's the smoothness with which she yeah, does it too because yeah. she you know we all have uh, as limited or as as large as they are we all have our ranges but getting those connected together into a way where you can go from where my voice is to like <gasps> It's like what the fuck like yeah. uh, how are you doing that it's yeah. truly like her voice is shockingly good yes yes yeah
4: it, it is quite amazing i've been not as much as i think you michael but i have also been slowly getting myself familiar with Joni mitchell's mm-hmm. work and this is an excellent song to bring here i love how sh- sharp these notes ring out on the guitars and i mean her voice i mean you guys already said it, it, it it's truly something special um Yeah, I definitely want to just keep pursuing, looking into Joni Mitchell. I think she's, from what I've heard so far, she's absolutely phenomenal and Uh deserves every bit of praise she's gotten over the years.
3: Hell yeah. Agreed. All right, man. You're up.
4: Oh, great. Okay. So we're going to get ourselves away from this... Famous sixties, early seventies folk artist. <laughs> yes, Fancy. we are, Let's and we're going. To, we're talking about a like a punk band now. guess somehow I even in this episode I was able to bring a punk band here. Particularly, this is an artist and a song we already discussed it. I don't know. I, I don't know about at length. The, at length, I don't know yes. about the song actually. I don't know if he played it or not, but I've, I most certainly mentioned it on our Bob Mold episode. Oh, he yes. This is a song from punk band Husker Du off their famed album Zen Arcade. Talk about the song Never Talking To You Again. It's the only fully acoustic song, I believe, that appears in an entire record. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe there's some interludes on there, but like, the ones with vocals, I believe, this yep. is the only one. Um, I, I couldn't help myself. I already knew we talked. I we, we definitely mentioned it, at least on the episode, but I will love this song so much. Um, this is actually not a Bob Mould uh, track. This is written by uh, the band's drummer, Grant Hart, uh, and, and was sung by as well, I think... Bob did play the guitars, though. I could yep. be wrong. Yeah, I, I looked... played a 12-string. Okay, mm-hmm. good. Well, I cause I looked it up. I wasn't sure if it was true or not. But yeah, um, the the strumming on this is great. I mean, this is exactly what you would think a punk band would... How, how a punk band would do, like, acoustic ballad. Um, uh, Grant Hart has this really calm demeanor about it, even though this is... I won't go too much into it. Go back, listen to the episode if you want to. But Zen Arcade is a concept record. And in the overall story, this is about saying, you know what? Screw everyone. I'm running away from home. Parents, maybe there are some good times, but overall, things are terrible here. It's <laughs> a broken home. I'm leaving. Yep. Um, which, I mean, well, I think overall that the story of Zen Arcade is really cheesy. And that's like my one big knock on that record. Um, I think lyrically if you take it in individual chunks and kind of take it out of that context they're really good and i think this one is too because it's not like a normal like punk song where they're like giving the finger to their parents and shouting down authority it's a very calm collected take on 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 that idea saying hey you know what things aren't just working out i'm gonna leave and i think Mm -hmm. this is probably the best way they could have approached that idea without making it really cringy yeah let's hear it let's do it well let's hear it
5: like to say but i'm never talking to you again there's things i'd like to pray somewhere but i'm never talking to you again i'm never talking to you again i'm never talking to you i'm tired of wasting all my time trying to talk to you Put you down where you belong But I'm never talking to you again I show you everywhere you're wrong But I'm never talking to you again I'm never talking to you
6: again I'm never talking to you I'm tired of wasting all my time Trying to talk to
2: you
3: I would also recommend anybody listen to that song in context of the full record, because like you get to this one and it's like, I just got my head smashed in by all these like crazy crushing guitars that Bob Mould can produce. And then you get this, it's like stripped down. It's just a couple chords. It's like, it's, it's like speaking to you rather Mm -hmm. than speaking at the world as a whole. You know, it's, it's pretty awesome. Mm hmm.
4: Yeah, I, I, I just... I, I didn't say don't listen to the records. I don't know it's still a classic. Please go listen to it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I,
0: I agree. It is such a stark difference from everything else you've on that album. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about that song, too, is it's really not to be the 60s garage guy, but it's really taking cues from that. Like, if you listen to this side-by-side side with even something like 7 and 7 is by Love, mm. it has a really similar sort of feel. And it has, uh, you know, this the lyrics are simple, and it's go and warp speed, but it's got this 12-string, so it sounds really crazy and spacey. Mm-hmm. It's a really great example of how dynamic and different that acoustic music can get, you know? Mm-hmm. And we've had two examples in our past two songs of instruments that can be acoustic that aren't acoustic guitar or that aren't a standard acoustic guitar, right, you know? right. Um, and I'm going to move us back to the standard acoustic guitar, but That's a little good. mixed up. So, trivia question. Who played guitar upside down? As in, they were left-handed, but they played a right-handed guitar. Hendrix. Correct. But also, my pick, Elizabeth Cotton. Elizabeth Cotton was born in 1893, hmm. which might make her one of the oldest people that we've ever talked about on this show. Um, she wasn't really discovered Uh, prominently until she was in her 60s, in like the 1950s and 60s. Um, And she played... She had her own style of playing acoustic guitar because she played a right-handed acoustic guitar upside down because she was Mm -hmm. left-handed. The music of Elizabeth Cotton is definitely in the vein of, like, classic folk and blues. Like, this is the stuff that Bob Dylan and Joan Baez and Johnny Mitchell were influenced by. Mm -hmm. This is not... What they were creating but this is this is what came before and her voice is an acquired taste i will say but her acoustic guitar playing is off the charts and this song is a this is a her version of going down the road feeling bad which you can hear a version of this by woody guthrie you can hear versions of this by a ton of famous folk singers but her version i really love because it really conveys the feeling of it and it's also a uh this is a, something I've talked to one of my friends about. It's a song that is gendered in that she's talking about, you know, oh, my lover girl was, uh, you know, she was bad to me. So it's probably originally written by a man coming mm-hmm. from, you know, the 1800s. But she doesn't flop the genders on it. And I really love when singers do that. John Prine a lot of times would sing from a woman's perspective. It's just a really, it's like a little nitpick that I have that I, I really, really like when singers don't switch up a song just because they're covering it you know but you're gonna hear some really great playing on this you're gonna hear her signature voice and i i don't know i just this is really my jam i wanted to bring in some super old style folk music for this just Mm -hmm. because acoustic guitar is so important to that
5: feeling bad honey babe
1: lord going down the road feeling
2: bad honey
1: babe lord going down the road feeling bad i don't want to be treated this old
0: For me, if you're going to make acoustic music, if you just pick some old song, dust it off and finger pick it right, that's really all I need. Like I could listen to music like this for the rest of my life and be totally satisfied.
3: Very very small but beautiful thing is just the way she slides her hand up and down the neck without picking her fingers up fully Mm -hmm. and getting that kind of scratch in between the, the finger picking that's the that's those little things it's those little tiny things that's just like mm, mm. chef's kiss mm-hmm. you know what i mean what do you think andrew uh <laughs> no, I, I i don't know how i'm
4: supposed to follow that up no this, this is great i also love the picking on this um you know it always reminds me you know because i always say i love early folk and i think when i say early folk i always think you know early dylan Early Joan Baez, I think that, wait, oh wait, no, like Pete Seeger, Woody Guthrie was before that, there's like even earlier folk than that, that's like the original, original folkies, and I I think um, she falls under this as well, and I think it's really cool to, uh, to kind of hear like this early version of the genre, it's like, it's amazing, because she, because once when, when you start getting to recordings this old, you or like musicians like that that date back so far back, you I I'm reminded of how many like silent films have been lost in time because right. they've been haven't been saved. Like it's amazing we still have as many Woody Guthrie like recordings as we do. Yeah. So people just weren't really interested about saving recordings like preserving it at the time. Yeah, right,
0: and I, I mean all all this kind of stuff really relates to. I'm a generally pretty optimistic person, and a lot of that comes from. I can listen to this or I can listen to something even further back like Lead Belly or uh, certain Robert Johnson songs. Mm -hmm. And I can feel intrinsically like so connected to these people that lived in centuries before I was born. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, you know, these emotions of of pain and love and loss and hope and all of these things can – there's a through line throughout – our country's history and the world's history where i can hear a recording from the 1800s and feel the exact same way as if i walk into a coffee shop and hear someone playing an acoustic guitar today mm-hmm. just gives me so much hope and if you're into stuff like this i'm going to talk about another another folk guy later and i have a few a few resources you can check out so i'll i'll bring those up later on but sweet yeah
3: uh, we will journey back to 60s, 70s-ish for my pick, which is another one that I just fell in love with this year. Yeah. And I brought Mr. Cat Stevens on the show before in the, probably the worst context. I think I brought him on a Nine Inch Nails episode. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah, if you're going to listen to that episode all the way through, you're going to get a little uh, peace train at the end. but. <laughs> I can't I can't bring the actual song piece string on here because there's some uh production choices that have acoustic element or electric elements in it. Right. But I can bring on the uh Royal Albert Hall performance uh which appears on uh the deluxe edition of Firecat. So oh boy, how can I put this one. What, the difference is you're going to hear some amazing backup singing, mm-hmm. um, amazing soul singing, amazing uh Um, like kind of chanting, and it's like, it's, it's like, it's like, um, it it belongs like on the Lion King soundtrack, man. It's so good. (laughs) It's so good. And it's just so good at making you feel um, just like connected with the world around you. And it, 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 you know, we're talking about optimism, there's really no song in the world that gives me more optimism than Peace Train. Um, I love the, you know, I love Cat Stevens sort of like almost naive look at how things are like uh you know if we all just get on this peace train and ride it together we'll be okay the world will come together as one and like you know it's uh it harkens back to the re- uh, reason why I liked uh you know John Lennon's lyrical themes originally you know even those com- come into question nowadays but Cat Stevens always rings true Cat Stevens will always be Cat Stevens uh Or Yusuf, you know. So, yeah, we'll play some Peace Train. That's true.
5: This is uh, a recently re recorded one Uh, called Peace Train. Lately, thinking about the good things to come, and I believe it could be something good has begun. Oh, I've been smiling lately, dreaming about the world as one, and I believe it could be someday it's going to come. Someday it's going to come, come take me home again. Come on the peace train Someday it's going to come Come on the peace train mm-hmm. Take me home again Peace train Sounding louder Light loud, loud on the peace train mm-hmm. Come on the peace train Peace train
3: the best description of Cat Stevens I've ever heard is it's like uh, when you're at your family reunion and your uncle breaks out his acoustic guitar and starts playing, and uh, you just feel at home. You
0: just feel at home. That's true. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about a little spoiler here. We're talking about doing sort of a maybe best, like, final tracks on an album, best closing tracks on an album. Mm-hmm if you want to listen to i mean cat stevens is kind of a master of that if you listen to like tea for the tiller man yep this he's like the perfect thesis statement for why i love 70s singer-songwriters so much is it was it was sort of a period of anything goes yes and he could write these great songs and interpret them and reinterpret them in, in such great ways you know Mhm
3: yeah i would uh, i'd recommend if you want some recent stuff there's a new version of tea for the tillerman out there which everyone should check out um and check out some of the later stuff that doesn't always get played on the radio buddha for in a, a box of chocolates for example you're gonna hear some those are more electric elements he's moving away from the uh stripped down folk stuff but still very good yeah
4: I don't really have much to say because I don't know Cat Stevens too well. I, I've been handed down a lot of his records, you know, over the years from family <laughs> members. That that that's how I got him too. Like, You know, yeah, yeah. But like, a bit unlike, unlike, unlike with you, they've just kind of sat there with me. Um, I. I'm gonna. Bre- I, I'm sorry, Michael. I'm gonna break the the uh, the loving atmosphere we've had so far. I wasn't a huge fan of this one. I'm sorry. You know, it, no, it's not. No, I don't think it's bad. I, I there's. I definitely like the verses. I think it's the chorus that's kind of throwing me off, as mm-hmm. that kind of rhythm to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it is giving me like give peace a chance vibes. You mentioned John Lennon. Yeah, yeah. And sorry, Lennon fanboys, but I hate that song. <laughs> you know. So that. But it, I I think I think Peace Train is that song done much better. I really yeah. do. I I think he has. I think there's a lot more earnestness in his in his voice, unlike John Lennon, at times who just feels too up 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 himself too much. You know, I, I don't know. I think I just don't think this is for me. But I definitely, I definitely like his voice. I think he definitely. If I if I listened to the other stuff, I'm sure I'd like it. It's just this song in particular. Just I don't know. It's just something about it that just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Look you know at what me. I mean? Look at me. Yeah. Fuck you. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> listen to the uh the actual album version yeah maybe you know, I'm, I'm sure you know and um, what's uh this is this teaser that's like yeah uh, teaser in the Firecat. this is this big one right
3: yeah uh, so, that one and T for the Tillman, yeah. yeah yeah
4: so again I just gotta listen to the whole music itself and maybe maybe I'd like the studio version a little bit more I don't mm-hmm. know but for me, it's just—it's just not for me.
3: Well, let me see what is for
4: you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, great transition. Um. And yes. So we're we're going to the '90s. We're we're, we're really starting to break out here, people. Actually, no, the masters in the '90s. Well, so never mind. Mm-hmm. So we, we're we're coming back to that time period. Uh, talk about another artist I've really always wanted to bring up on the show. Uh, the one Miss Tori Amos. Um. Yeah. Uh. I mean, like, I don't even know where to begin with her. I'm not going to go through a life story. God no. But Andrew, just, is,
3: is this song acoustic? Did we figure
4: that out? Okay, so Ben <laughs> thinks there's a bit of Ben thinks there's a bit of a dispute with this song, real quick. Um, you, you said that well well, well, we'll we'll get to it we'll listen we we to it and yeah, we'll. Hear well, it. well, we'll after we listen to it, yeah. But um, but anyways, no. Uh, she she was a, if you don't know Tori Amos, uh, she was a huge singer-songwriter, I guess you can call her that in the 90s. Um you know, although she'd been around in music a lot longer than that. In fact, actually, she's a, uh, she was actually born in 1963 at the age of five, was the youngest person ever uh, to be uh, uh, to join the Peabody Conservatory Music at John Hopkins University. So, um, yeah, uh, seriously, legit musician. If you've never heard her, do so. She's classically trained, great pianist, amazing vocalist, and you'll hear her in my song shortly. Um, but she didn't really break out until the '90s, like I said, with her first album, *Little Earthquakes*. Um, it's a great record. Definitely go listen to it. A lot of the songs almost qualify, but there are some electric guitars that do uh, that are inserted in in um, on that record. So instead, I went with a live track. Um, this is the first track I'm going to have on today with piano instead of guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, let's 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 hear a little bit of the song "Precious Things." I'll talk a little more about it after. But this is off her uh, "Live and Watch album uh, from '91 to '92. If if you want to go check it out later. <laughs>
1: So I ran faster, but it caught me here Yes, my loyalties turned like my anchor In the seventh grade Running after Billy, running after the rain
4: To at least get to that crooning point, I had to at least get there. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, she. If you can't tell, she's just a powerhouse, and I'll get more about. I'll talk a little bit more more about the song in just a second, but I kind of want to hear what you. If you guys had any previous experience with Tori Amos before this,
3: I did not. uh, I only know Tori Amos as uh, someone that comes up in the recommended section when we're doing episodes like uh, Alanis Morissette or Fiona Apple, kind of like the '90s. Kind of uh, singer songwriter piania- pianist, usually multi instrumentalist that come out with these amazing records in the first half of their career, and then like kind of just get known as legends yeah. for all the two thousands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much my only experience with Tori
4: Amos. But so, what did you think of this?
3: Does this it, this doesn't sound like acoustic
0: instruments? Oh, okay, okay, well <laughs> we'll just we'll, we'll 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 settle that. Yes, but I do have to say, the only Amos I know is famous Amos the chocolate chip cookies
4: (laughs) (laughs) you're not actually commenting about the music i have to stop
0: i have to stop the conversation to say the only amos i know is famous amos chocolate chip cookies okay because my joke (laughs) my joke would have had to stay in my brain otherwise and we all know that will not do Mm -hmm. um that i mean i i seriously had no idea who this is the music it's very confusing as to whether it's acoustic or not. Mm-hmm. Because in the verses, definitely, when she's playing the lower parts, that's yeah. a piano. I think that the intro and the, the other parts are just higher up on the piano. Mm. But I was talking to Andrew about it. There's a very good chance that this is a keyboard. Yeah. And it's like a sim of a piano. But Andrew was having so much trouble and that we decided I to let it, let it slow. Else, well,
3: hold on, so. hold on. It's in a live setting, too. Yeah.
0: Right. Which still creates
3: the atmosphere of intimacy and stuff. And it's even though it's kind of like the notes are ringing out a little too perfect than they would have been on maybe a grand piano or something, mm-hmm. I'm still getting the same impression. Right. Yeah. Atmospherically,
4: I, it works. I think I did read somewhere that she sheet plays play keyboards, so... Probably, but it's it sounds acoustic, right. so give me a break. Yeah. Uh, what, Andrew, yeah. I got to tell you something real quick.
3: Really? This is going to be the weirdest comparison you've ever heard in your life. Okay. This gives me Tool vibes. Why? The, the way
4: she's like... This
3: is 90s, is that why? <laughs> let me, no, let me explain myself. The way she's like phrasing it, her lyrics, and the way she kind of like slowly lets off of it, kind of like almost humming in a way. Yeah. When she's like trailing off, like you can kind of hear it right here. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's the same way Maynard would like kind of sing on something on Lateralus. Okay. Like,
0: uh, Speaking of the mic. Yeah. Sorry.
3: Uh, it's the same yeah. way he would like sing on a on a tune like that. It's like it's weird. It's giving me the same. Like it's it's totally doesn't sound anything like it acoustically or sonically, but yeah. I don't know. It's something about her voice. I'm like, I'm I'm. I feel like I'm in, um, God, what is that song? Uh, the one with the really creepy music video, the one with like the, the (laughs) guys, yeah, I know, I know the one with the, like the guys like spewing black stuff on a table. Uh, yeah, that's, that's cool. But anyway, it's the (laughs) same vibe where it's kind of like, um, has that slow intro and it's kind of like, you're almost like in a weird, like hymn, you know, like, uh, Mm -hmm. like sort of, there's a religious kind of thing behind it, Yeah, you know? I, it's. I can't really explain
4: this, but th- that's where I'm. Did going you like it. it? I liked it. Did you like it? Ben? I did like it. We okay. can move on. <laughs> yeah, well, can, can I? Yes, add A couple ahead. more comments, because it's interesting you mentioned the religious aspect, because she was, because that's kind of the actually the inspiration for the song oh. lyrically, because, um, she she grew, she was I think she wrote this or around when she was 24, and she was actually wherever her apartment or her house was, it was right behind a church, and it got her kind of thinking about her upbringing from her grandmother, who would like. Like put her down in a corner and shout Bible verses at her and saying you will give your soul to God and a body your body to a man who you will marry. Just crazy stuff like this. She was like a literal child, mm-hmm. when this was happening. I won't get too gritty into the lyrics, but just overall, the the lyrics are about uh, overall the lyrics are about self discovery of like a woman. You know, being intimate. We'll we'll, we'll keep PG here, but you know, it, it goes beyond that. Kind of pushing past religious expectations and. Uh, Kind of you know talking about you know being rejected and uh men who think that oh they're all the best like this is all all they need to get a woman to love them if uh they're good in bed, and she's like, no. No, I mean, like intimacy is a lot more than that. <laughs> Romance is a lot more than that. So she kind of talks about that and I mean I know I kind of poke about it in plain terms, but seriously look at the lyrics too. I mean, she's the way she write she wrote it, she's blunt but also kind of poetic and I always really appreciated th- that about her. Kind of um, like Fiona Apple in a way. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Um you know, and I, I, they actually had similar experiences. Unfortunately, I don't want to get too heavy on the show, but because mm-hmm. uh, we're trying to keep things casual. But yeah, like you, you can definitely point some comparisons between the two. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think she has an amazing, a very powerful croon. It's something yeah. you don't normally hear crooning like that. It's just insane, and mm-hmm. her piano just, just that riff. is mm perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's about as much as I'll say about Tori Amos. Um, I'm glad I was at least able to bring up her once on the show, so yeah, um, hopefully it won't be the last time, but uh, on this episode it will be because
0: we need to move on.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's head back to the 70s. No surprise. <laughs> back to one of my faves. 1976 um, Neil Young did a lot of solo acoustic stuff, and this kid named Joel Bernstein, who was his guitar tech, he recorded those shows... Directly to cassette. Well, they were also being recorded to multi track. Those cassettes became an album, a bootleg album, which circulated of solo Neil Young performances that then Neil Young adap- adopted into an official release with the multi tracks. So, what you're going to hear is an acoustic banjo version of Mellow My Mind by Neil Young, which is a, is a song from Tonight's the Night which is the album I mentioned earlier that he recorded all in one night, pretty much. Um, this version is definitely different than that version. Um, it's, it's more intimate. The album is called Songs for Judy, and that's um, named after, I guess, a hallucination that Neil had on the tour when he saw Judy Garland in the orchestra pit at one of the venues he was playing. Hmm. This, was <laughs> this was recorded November 20th, 1976, at the Palladium, New York, New York, which was eventually famously mentioned by the Beastie Boys, famously played out by many different artists. This is just a prime example of Neil Young in general and solo acoustic music and just, just everything he could do and good banjo playing. Like, people think banjo is annoying. Mm-hmm. I, I challenge that notion with this song.
6: So here it goes. This is especially for you critics.
2: I right
1: Baby melt on my mind
0: You want to talk about like something messy some messy mistake filled music that's oh, yeah. neil young yeah you know i mean you can hear that if, if you want a, a, an instrument that's really gonna show the mistakes in a song the banjo is gonna do it i mm-hmm. mean it's resonating it's every little buzz and screw up that you have is very very apparent and you can hear it on this song and it just makes it it's it's raw in it's, such a, a pleasant way i just love his voice and his way of harmonica playing and his way of playing the banjo, he's strumming it too, which is really interesting. Lots of times you think of like dueling banjos, Earl Scruggs style fingerpicking, and this shows a sort of more laid back kind of banjo playing that I really admire. This is my favorite Neil Young song and my favorite version of the song.
3: I heard this, this was in the uh, Texas Road Trip playlist, so it yeah. has a very special place in my heart. Um Neil Young is that next one that you gotta make me a guide for, but Oh god. <laughs> this this one. This one will stick with me forever, for sure.
4: Yeah, um I don't know much about Neil Young. Um again, I'm it's kinda of the same camp as uh Cat Stevens me, although I'm slightly more familiar. I, I, I do I, I do like him though, and I Godfather really like father of grunge.
3: That's mm-hmm. true. Is he? Yes, okay. he is regarded as Godfather of Grunge oh, by good, Pearl
4: cool. Jam. Well I I I, I appreciate that. Uh then his contributions to me for music and I appreciate this song. I really liked I really like the picking here, so or the strumming or whatever however. A little of both. <laughs> A little nice. of both. I like the mix, that's what I meant to say. So, you know.
3: Let's keep the peace train going. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh God. Uh, gentlemen. You have Neutral Milk Hotel. You do. Um you have Positive Milk Hotel, which is the Olivia tremor control. You have Negative Milk Hotel, which is uh, the glow part two by the microphones. And then I would call this song uh, Neutral uh, Lactose Free um, Motel. (laughs)
4: <laughs> where are you going with this
3: this is in the same vein as uh sad white boy lo-fi that i bring on the show often and i have brought this on the show often uh this is a band called cry wank which and- andrew just loves he- he's such a-, a fan of that name um <laughs> off of their album that's so long that i will not say I it but i do be dirty like that <laughs>
4: this
3: uh i i love this album um simply for the almost humorous self-deprecation all uh-huh. over it. It's it's like it's the most self-aware album I've ever listened to because he's literally saying, like, I am just a sad white kid playing acoustic guitar. Please, like, you can make fun of me. I am, like, he, there's songs on this called, like, I Am Shit uh like, um cry-wank cliché yeah i am a cliché cry-wank are posers. like uh and and they're all like sad but kind of in a funny way and yeah. i've never listened to an album like that before um the song i wanted to show you guys i've brought in you good dog yes okay <laughs> i think i've brought in either notches or deep down i'm an american werewolf but today i'm going to show you GB eating GB while it's listening to GB. Go ahead, Ben.
0: All right.
6: Enthusiastic beyond belief In a busy room, you're all I see And I fear this admiration will be the end of me Blurring the lines between what I want and what I need Calm down, calm down Don't let her see how fast your heart is beating Calm down, calm down, control If you don't want me was well, just to look
2: i'll think about
3: you yeah i mean quick points like i know i had a humorous intro for that but it is a sad song but eventually it's gonna pick up and it turns into a jam as in most of these songs do but uh this is this is definitely not for everybody it's like it kind of like exemplifies the sort of like uh, self-deprecation we've put in music a lot in the in the 2000s it's very much probably like inspired by um you know surrounding yourself with technologies distancing yeah. yourself from people um kind of getting trapped in your own bubble which i feel like is a big problem for a lot of people but um as you can see as this song picks up uh what i love about Crywank is that they can turn a slow really simple songs into something that just like doesn't uh sound like anything i've heard before it's the song that like i was saying at the very beginning that gets my serotonin going like yeah you know um in a way that uh not a lot of acoustic musicians can do and this album is all fully acoustic just guitar cajon very simple drumming some tambourine
0: right that's about it. Well, this song brings up an interesting uh, piece of acoustic music, which is reverb is really important in this. And with this song, you're kind of getting the same effect that I think this episode is going to get because of the lack of soundproofing in this room, mm-hmm. which is you're getting a lot of room sound here, definitely from the drums and from the acoustic guitar. And that can sort of create a an effect of feeling like you're in the room with someone, mm-hmm. which might not be the best for a podcast, but can be really good for songs like this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really like this. Uh, you know,
4: I, I I don't I didn't really remember them outside the name because how could you forget that name? <laughs> no, but um, no, I I think this. No, I really appreciate because I I really didn't know much about the lyrics until you described it. And I really appreciate kind of how they kind of the style of you know self-deprecation, you know, lyrical writing, but also. I don't want to say having fun with it, cause I know these these sound like all these are really sad songs. But you know, kind of having that self-awareness to at least kind of be the butt of a joke, and I appreciate an artist can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, no, and I really like the build to this as well, like you mentioned. Um, yeah, this is this is really good stuff.
3: Cool, Andrew. Let's get your last pick in here.
4: Okay, so um,
0: important pick. Yes. Important.
4: So I actually had to call this one. Like, when we started discussing this episode, I I actually had to call this artist because I Mm -hmm. didn't want Michael stealing him from Or Ben. Or Ben Ben too, honestly, yeah. yeah. Um, I think this is an artist we all, to some level, have a deep appreciation for and a deep respect for. And talk about Nick Drake here, people. And Ben, I do not say his name lightly because... um, Easily... My favorite folk artist, I'd have to say, or at the very least, he made my favorite folk album, which is the song we're, we'll talk about here in a second. Um, if you don't know who Nick Drake is, you need to do some homework. Yeah. To, it, stop listening to this. Do your homework. <laughs> like, I, I'm not kidding you. He is just one of those one in a million artists. Like, and he had one of those classic tragic artist tales. Um, he's definitely become a, a, a cult uh, legend of music uh, following... Um, Following his death, which I'll talk about a little bit later, but um, his albums rarely sold during this time. He suffered heavy, heavy depression, and you can hear that in a lot of his lyrics, particularly with uh, the song I'll, I'll mention here in a second. But... Before I even kind of get into to that song in particular, I, I do want to hear what you guys' uh, experiences with Nick Drake are and what you guys kind of think about him as an artist in <laughs> you, general.
3: You know my experience with Nick, Nick Drake because you brought me Nick Drake. I remember yeah. being in your dorm room and you showing me the album cover. I remember you, uh, like, sending it to me and just saying, like, this is... This is the stuff. This is the, if you want acoustic music that will make you feel things. This is yeah. where you go, and I, it is uh, the best thing Andrews ever recommended me, besides Loomer and some various other bands that I can say will be the best recommendation that anybody listening will ever have as well. Um, it's it's the type of music that can sort of somehow, some way fit any mood that you're in. <sighs> you know what i mean like it's 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 for a drive home but it's also for like accomplishing a really like amazing feat. it's it's a lot it it, it kind of throws you through the entire emotional spectrum yeah. in like what is it it's like 40 minutes uh, not even for pink, pink moon pink, pink moon. moon's 28 28, yeah.
0: 28. Yeah, yeah it's like a short short a really album. short album yeah um it was the summer uh, before junior year of high school My friend group at the time was collapsing and I didn't really have anyone in my life, you know. And that summer, I listened to Pink Moon just over and over again and I digested everything I could find about Nick Drake's story and this album. uh, The albums that affect me most deeply come to me at very, very tough times in my life and on a sliding scale that time is not very tough compared to what I've had since but at that time that was one of the worst times in my life and having this album to sort of to to relate to and sort of wallow in it it really really helped me out a lot and and for as as little as I've listened to it in the past two or three years it's a made a massive massive it's had a massive effect on my life and it is a big part of me yeah
4: and and I I kind of relate to that I mean this is this Album has been there for me in tough times as well. Um, you don't know much about his discography. He only has three records. Um, you know, first one, five leaves left and brighter light later. Yeah. Um, good records in their own rights. Um, they they had, but they're not fully acoustic. They have like some jazzier elements to them. Mm-hmm. A little slightly more pop friendly, or at least pop friendly as Nick Drake would ever be. Yeah. Uh, Pink Moon was probably came around his darkest time in his life, and mm-hmm. he. Uh, just, he just in the two nights, he's like, okay, I just want like me and an, an acoustic guitar, and that's it. He really, really wanted this really stark, spare record. And uh, apart from some piano you you would hear in the title track, Pink Moon is just that, him and a guitar. And it is one of the most powerful records you will ever hear in your life. I think I've said. I think I've used the term Nick Drake principle on the show a couple of times. The idea of doing so much with so little. You did, Mm -hmm. Joan, I think exemplifies that a lot in her early career, Uh, but Nick Drake, I think is the one who did the best Um, on on Pink Moon Um, and the song that I want to play for you all here um, is, I mean, Pink Moon is his magnum opus, but I think the apex of that magnum opus is the song, Things Behind the Sun. It is. One of my favorite songs ever, and I will argue one of the greatest songs ever written. I wow. I, I don't use that term lightly. It is just magnificent, and uh, I I let's 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 hear it first before I kind of go any further with that.
6: Please beware of them that stare, the will lonely smile to see while are time away and Once you've seen what they have been to in the earth just won't seem worth your night or your day Oh well, yeah, what I say Look around you find the ground is not so far from where you are don't be too wise For down below they never grow They're always tired and charms are hired From out of their eyes Never a surprise Take your time and you'll be fine Say a prayer for people that live on
4: So if this was your first time hearing this song, some things that might have stuck out to you were his very sullen, almost shy vocals, but it still rings out very coolly. very, um, I don't know, you can definitely still hear life in there in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, you might also be taken aback by his picking because that's something he was often celebrated for, was his, uh, was his strumming and picking styles and his use of open tuning and mm-hmm. alternate tunings. Um, it's just really, really, Awesome to hear him play, and he might also be taken back by the lyrics. Uh, like I said, a lot of his lyrics did reflect his mental state at the time, and he was known for being in a really deep state of depression in his later life. And uh, you mean you you hear it here? It's almost just hard to listen to when you know how his life ends. Um, you know, the, the the I won't go line by line, but the general theme behind the song, my understanding, is life kind of not meeting up to expectations or life of uh, kind of tricking you thinking things are sh- bright and happy, but really has a dark, sinister motive behind it, things behind the sun. you um, did use a lot of elemental phrases like the sun, the moon, the stars, you know, the earth, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, used a lot of that for like metaphors in a song. This is probably the best use of that. Um, you know, and it's it's hard because we don't know how a story ends. I've already kind of alluded to it, but um, Couple of years. This is his last record. Um, I think he did like recorded a couple other songs. Yeah, he was working on one, another record. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then in 1974, right Ben. Um, that's he overdosed on antidepressant medicines. Now, still disputed whether or not that, that, whether that was done purposely or not. Um, some say he was trying to overcorrect his depression and he went too far. Some say it was a willing choice. Whatever. I mean, whatever. However, it was. He died only selling about like under 5,000 records total and that's all three records that's
0: that's something interesting to talk about is um, of the Island Records discography Pink Moon is allegedly their lowest or second lowest selling album yeah. ever yeah mm-hmm.
4: um, it wasn't until you know the 80s where artists like um, but Peter Buck of R.E.M. and uh, Robert Smith of The Cure mm-hmm. is his name and as well as a multitude of others started saying that yeah he's a big inspiration on me and uh People kind of discovered more and more about him. Uh, and then the brother that finally the, broke the Campbell's back was uh, pink the title track of this album Pink Moon being used in a Volkswagen commercial. and uh, yeah. I mean we can argue whether or not how morally <laughs> right that was, but mm-hmm. it it finally got him a lot of attention and yeah. he's now considered one of the greatest songwriters ever made. and I don't know. like it, it's still I mean this 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 album, this song still gets me chills and it's agreed. You know, I, I I I can't put into words the praise I have for this for this song, this record. Um, I'll let you guys finish this off because I can go on forever.
3: Yeah, not only is uh, if we if we're gonna get a little uh, emotional in the ending of the episode here, but uh, Andrew Nick Drake is a uh, kind of like a like something that uh every time i listen to it i cherish our friendship a little more on like this podcast oh, wow. and it, it's true it's true like i i can't listen to nick drake without thinking of andrew and while like i i would rather have like more happy music to think about andrew it's still okay <laughs> like i can listen to this music and still be like i'm glad i met this guy i'm glad he's in my college life and like glad we did this podcast together i'm glad we can finally get back into a room and do this podcast together um that and like Loomer are pretty much like the the Andrew Mullen songs, at least for me. Um yeah. so
4: yeah. They'll make me cry in the podcast. It's it, hey,
3: it's it's not the final <laughs> episode yet, but
0: he's still got a few more. Oh, great. Well, <laughs> Jesus, let's save the emotions until then. All right. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna give us a nice little emotional wrap up here. A song of legend recorded by legends. Um this is uh, this is Railroad Bill, which is a folk song that's been done and done and done many times. I'm going to play you Hobart Smith's version, which was recorded on Alan Lomax's the famed folk recorder, who recorded I think 4,000 plus hours of of original folk music and and covers over his life. This is recorded on his Southern Journey in 1959 and 1960, um, where he just went around the the, the American South recording people in everyday life recording uh, people in prison work camps, recording anything he could that, that had to do with original uh, folk music. Railroad bill is a song that's been around for a really long time, A a long, a long piece of America's history. This song has existed. And apparently it is at least in part based on, um, the story of Morris Slater who died March 7th, 1896. Um, Morris Slater was an African-American guy who wrote, he rode the rails from town to town, sort of what we would call a hobo in the colloquial sense, picking up work as he went along. Um, Well, he got thrown off of a uh, Louisville and Nashville railroad train in the, like, 1890s somewhere, Um, and uh, as he was on his way to Mobile, Alabama, this sort of set up a rivalry between him and this railroad where he did his best to screw up everything they were doing. Um, and in the process, he became a folk hero. He was on the run from them. He was, uh, he'd steal from the trains. He'd kill various people working in and around the railroad. Um, and he became a, a folk hero in that because, for all intents and purposes, he was a black man that was standing up to this white system. Um, and he had been wronged. So he was, he was doing his best to stand up to that. And we're not really sure if Railroad Bill was written about him or if Railroad Bill was a song that existed before and his nickname came from that, this song. But what we know is at least some parts of the, the song Railroad Bill are about Morris Slater in some way, most likely. Um, and the finger picking you're gonna hear on here from Hobart Smith. Is truly transcendent. I've read that this is the song, that if you were in that folk revival scene in the 60s to bring this completely full circle, if you knew how to play railroad bill, you were it. You had made it. This was that benchmark you had to meet. And you'll hear, I mean, I think, uh, actually, Joan Baez has a version of this. Bob Dylan has a version of this. This song is everywhere, and it's a big part of American history, and I think it's a nice one for us to close on. Listen to the the little string pulls he has in this finger picking. I love it so much. dig that, I would highly recommend seeking out Bob Dylan's version, seeking out Joan Baez's version, seeking out Ramblin' Jack Elliott's version. Ramblin' Jack Elliott might have, he definitely has one of the definitive versions. I mean, what do you guys think of this? I feel like this is so far out of our wheelhouse. This has all
3: the things we were talking about at the beginning. It has a little bit of air, a little bit of personality, has some, uh, feels like you're right there sitting next to him. Feels like you're inside the acoustic guitar. And like you're kind of the the avenue for all of these uh, songs and all all the notes that are coming through, uh, poetic response. But yeah, it's uh, I like it. I like it a lot. Good.
4: Um, yeah, I I really like this too. You know, excuse me. Um, cut that part out. I'll start over. Yeah, I really like this too um, because. I think of blues. I, For me, I love like electric, like really Toronto electric blues where like, it's almost like the guitarist speaking through his guitar, you know, BB King, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Muddy Waters and some semblances. I really, Buddy Guy, you know, I really like this, that kind of blues music, uh, but I, I often forget um, how good acoustic blues is as well. I think about, you know, your Robert Johnson's of the world. Um, and you know, this this is really, really cool to hear. I, I like kind of p- putting all like folk hero songs and like kind of folk and country songs. Um, the the the, the, the um, Ballad of John Henry by Johnny Cash comes mm-hmm. to mind. Um, but this is, while this is not quite as epic per se, you know, in terms of length as that Johnny Cash song, it's still a really, I still think this is a really uh, well done, you know, t- telling of that story.
0: Yeah. And if you're into this stuff, just as a quick plug to this kind of music at the end, if you're into traditional American music in any way, check out the Smithsonian Folkways Archive. That That's your headquarters for any sort of folk music. This is the stuff that influenced Bob and Joan and Johnny and everybody. Um, and if you're into podcasts, which if you've listened to this, if you listen this far, you definitely are. Um, check out uh, been all around this world. That's a song from a partnership Smithsonian Folkways and the uh, S- the Center for Cultural Equity. Uh, it's I think they've got seven or ten episodes out right now. Mm-hmm. They haven't made one in about a year, but I think they're working on it. COVID stuff. Um, but that's that's it's almost a radio show for music like this, and you're getting tons of backstory, way more backstory than I could ever provide, um, and really learning about folk music in America up to the 60s and 70s. It's it's a fabulous listen and a great a great way to spend a few hours. So, sweet. I mean with that, I think we can move on to our recommendations. Yes, sir. Um I will go first here just kind of bust through it. I
3: mean I mentioned the phrase uh you know, what gets the serotonin going in my brain a lot in this episode. Um without a doubt, this is the song. This is a That's- cover of uh sexual hearing healing from the uh the legendary legendary marvin gay and uh this is covered by let me pull it up real quick the hot eight brass uh band from new orleans and i first heard this song um, while watching the movie chef with John Favreau. And (laughs) (laughs) it's a beautiful moment. Um, when, when Favreau and his like son in that movie are, uh, just coming away from eating a beignet at cafe Dumont and, they're, they're going around in their food truck serving uh, Cuban sandwiches and stuff it's, it's such a beautiful moment I strongly recommend that movie but even st- more strongly recommend this song this is what got me through January and kind of like the start of classes and just yeah. being like really anxious and just really slow at first but like every time I need to start my day and need to have a little more um, a little more gusto going into you know what I need to accomplish this is the song we Also recorded acoustically to kind of tie in with this episode, That's but we true. didn't have horns,
0: so I needed to bring some horns. Yeah, you're serving me marching band, but not annoying. Vibes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
3: no band kid energy. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, God. band kids. No offense.
4: No, you guys are wonderful. Please listen to our show. All right. Um, I guess I'll go next, and uh, I have a. I brought. I, I have two songs here Double in front whammy. of me. Huh? Double whammy. Double whammy. But I'm only gonna. I'll just only mention the first one. Uh, I won't be super greedy. Um, uh, these these are these two songs were just just barely unable to make it onto the show because it did have some acoustic, uh, um, sorry, electric elements to it. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'll just save them for recommendations. They're almost ac- fully acoustic, but not quite. Um, the first one that I'll just mention here is a song called Reason to Believe. I think it's a cover of of like an old 60s folk song. I don't remember who wrote it initially, but it's done by one of my favorites, Courtney Barnett, um, you know, was featured on this song. Uh, But the main artist here is Vagabond, who um, I don't know how to exactly describe her music. She's, I guess, kind of, she's done a lot of acoustic, but also a handful of electric stuff as well. Um, I guess she's kind of a singer, modern singer-songwriter. I I don't know how else to put her, but... um, Fangman does tour with as toured with Courtney Barnett in the past. I want to say she's on Courtney's Milk record, same record label, which is Milk Records. I could be wrong. Um, I just know they'd have they had some some working relationships. Uh, they just released this cover and all. They're doing some Q&A stuff about it. Um, Courtney Barnett certainly not a, a unfamiliar with doing collaborations. Who'd want to go shout out to that episode the past right. weeks? Um, yeah, uh, I I think uh, it's a really solid cover. You should go check it out if you haven't heard it. But the one I do want to play here is an f- artist that's far, 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 far less known. Uh, in fact, actually, I think this art yeah this artist has only six monthly listeners on, yeah. on Spotify. Is that
3: the most obscure we've ever gone on this show? I I,
4: I think one of the artists I talked about on the Mount Pleasant episode had five. Okay, so maybe <laughs> we're, we're close. We're, it's pretty close. Uh, in fact, I don't even remember how I found this artist. His name is Andrew Ferris, by the way. Yes, Andrew. Um, I don't <laughs> know. Um, I think uh, I want to say maybe it was on Bandcamp, but it, it it it's very lovely music. And I know I don't nobody don't bring the happy stuff on here, but after all the depressing songs that I brought here, I thought it'd be nice to have a bit of a palate cleanser. So uh, this because it, all is like he has like two albums, both of them are like child drawn like album artworks one's like a bus on it. This is, actually this album's called Yellow Lori. I'm guessing he's British. Um yeah, it's just a very nice just jangly, you know, like acoustic pop, I guess. I don't know how else to put it. Um the song I want to play here is faster than the Leaves. so let's let's hear it. <laughs>
1: Recently we've grown apart so peacefully somewhere along the way Now you're a mystery to me I barely recognize your face It's clear to me that if we carry the same way We won't succeed at this game Let's rearrange our strategy So things are gonna change around here Those that were lost will be found Things are gonna change around Here as we fall faster than the leaves fall to the ground Honestly, I'm
0: aware it's pretty, That's up my alley, Andrew. I like that a lot. I, that is the last thing I
3: expect you to bring in on this <laughs> one.
0: What the fuck? That is like... Dude.
4: That's I a, could have happy music every now. And you don't like the on.
3: Curious George
0: soundtrack? Are you fucking kidding me, dude? I, I, never <laughs>
4: said I didn't I did like it.
0: Ben, give me a wreck. All right, so <laughs> I'm, I'm doubling up too, but I'm just mentioning the first one. First of all, Weezer's new album is out. As we all <laughs> Beware. predicted, um, it's okay. I, I mean, the title even told us it was going to be okay. Yeah. It's okay. There are three yeah. songs I really like. My favorite is Numbers. It has a really great song that goes like, I hear the sages. <laughs> yeah. That's the chorus. It's really cool. Me and Michael and our friend Brody were listening to it the other night over and over in the car. But what I was remiss, I was thinking, oh, oh, God, what? like I don't have a recommendation for this episode. I do. And it came from talking about this episode earlier this week. Um, I was talking to Andrew about how Bob Dylan and Joan Bias had dated and how they had recorded music together. And Andrew was like, they recorded music together
4: yeah it's pretty interesting stuff
0: so i said well i obviously have to bring this in the song i'm going to bring to you today is their version of never let me go i highly recommend you look up the swing and pig video from there it's live at madison square garden this is mid 70s 75 on the rolling thunder review they're singing so close together they're singing into each other's mouths in reference to a talking heads lyric um, and they just have such chemistry and their voices work so well together. There's so, so much depth in this song. This, uh, this is, might be my favorite I'm going to play on this episode. I, I, I really can't tell you how much I love this. It just moves me so deeply. Okay, Weezer. Well, yes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a little bit of Bob Dylan and Joan Baez live playing Never Let Me Go.
4: Thank you for listening. Yes, thank you. I really this is this a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this episode. It, I, it was a very calming one, I think. You know, yeah, yeah. normally I'm not very calm. But good to you be know. back in person. definitely it's yes, definitely yes. nice to be back in person. And I think we were hoping to continue that moving forward. Oh, right? Yes,
3: home. we have a uh, the first in person big discography run we've
4: done yes. since like King Giz. or probably. something. I, I don't even remember. But we're not even but just also like King Giz, This the artist we'll be talking about next week has a very big discography to a point. We're not going to talk about the whole thing. We're going to talk about their golden years, their, their golden run, i like to say. Mm-hmm. We're talking about one of my favorites next week, and that is the one, the only, R.E.M. But that will come next week. As of right now, I think Ben looks like he wants to sing a little ditty to close us out. So, as always, what do we say, boys? Good night, Good night Detroit. Detroit.
0: We said it together. <laughs> About mistakes. If you like rock music, (laughs) punk or metal or blues, you've come to the right place. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Because we all like it too. It's Sound check. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah.
2: It's sound sound check.
0: check. (laughs) And I'm coming along too. It's It's sound check. check.
4: Everyone, sing along. Um, Check, check, check. Check, check,
3: check,
2: check, 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 check,
3: check, check, check. check. Very good. We'll keep that in.